0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Reconciled Life podcast featuring Aaron Matthew Brown.
1: Wow, middle names today. And Holly Rochelle Brown.
0: As a child, I wish my name was Rochelle and not Holly.
1: Oh, you want to unpack that?
0: (laughs) I just thought it was really pretty. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, as we said, this is the Reconciled Life. Would you
0: still have married me if I was Rochelle and not Holly? Sure. Wow, thanks for your in-depth <laughs> <of> answer. <laughs>
1: um, like I was saying, the Ringside Life podcast, the podcast that looks at the idea of racial reconciliation this s- season with a focus on the idea of representation. What, what? Yes. So, Holly, what are we talking about today? Joy. <laughs> yes. No lead-in. Okay. <laughs> That's good. (laughs) Laughter is good. I know for some, it may get a little bit of whiplash. Last time we talked, it was about
0: mental uh, mental
1: health. And I was like, joy! And I think for us, the idea when we talk about uh, joy is not this sort of effervescent, just joy, smiley, bubbly personality.
0: That is not us
1: uh true, true most of that know a sarcasm overflows from our being uh, That's what bubbles out. <laughs> uh i think the joy we're talking about is the pursuit of it if you will and the idea that even in even in the hard times and despair uh joy is still worth striving for and i think in the lens of representation uh for me personally uh is the idea of black joy and uh as a theater artist as a director uh so many of the stories that are for us to tell as black artists deal with trauma and pain and uh overcoming air quotes uh overcoming (laughs) hardship and slavery And as an educator, so often when I talk to my students, they're like, we understand those stories and we respect what they, what they are telling and our history, but we are so much more than our pain. And when we say sort of representation of joy, and that is the idea of how can we be more than our pain. How can our joy be a revolutionary act? It's something that I've heard recently huh. by people that wow. uh, that our joy is an act of resistance. Um, and so to get the ball rolling... It's uh, a deep lead-in. I feel like the ball is rolling. Okay, well, it's coming <laughs> to you. Here's the pass. What does joy mean to you, Holly? I mean, obviously, we're in a racial marriage, and so... I don't know if you view joy as (laughs) resistant and revolutionary. Uh, How do you view joy?
0: No, I think that I'm still processing what you said. And on my journey of learning and appreciating black culture and the history and traditions that are celebrated and recognized, that is something that repeatedly stands out to me. And I feel like So, this is kind of a random side note, but you know this. I've started following a lot of black preachers (laughs) on social media. Um, Why? uh, For several reasons. It started kind of in our church hunt. Actually, I take that back. It started when my brother, who's a pastor, told me about Charlie Dates. Uh, Shout out to Progressive Church in Chicago. (laughs) Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. Um, He pastors there. And my younger brother had said... um, He thought Charlie dates was either the best preacher in our time or one of the best preachers in our times. I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but so that introduced me to Charlie dates, um, during COVID and my first sermon was listening was, um, he preached on after George Floyd's death. And I think, and then in our church hunt, we visited black churches, um, as, a potential of where we would land. And I think my eyes started becoming open to just realizing that people worship. And, and when you go on mission trips, you know this, but it's weird how you compartmentalize like overseas versus in America. But like, it's good to see other cultures and how, Worship happens and how it's.
1: I mean, you want to see some black joy, <laughs> yeah. You got to go do a church. black, church. yeah,
0: truly. And so I feel like all of this conversation coincides because, yeah, see, and that was a re-
1: repeating
0: anthem that the black culture has learned how to have joy amidst suffering, and and even to the extent of maybe more so than most people in America is. And I, ju- I just shared with Aaron earlier tonight a clip from another black pastor where he talked about the paradox of the black church tradition of being able to have joy in the midst of suffering and pain.
1: Um, Which, I mean, this is obviously not a history lesson, but understanding, I think so often the black church gets reduced to sometimes comedy. Yeah. Uh, and there is some funny stuff (laughs) I'm just going to say that it's not for everybody to make fun of that's a whole other thing but uh, there is a lot there but to truly understand it you have to understand that the black this is me nerding out uh, for some history from grad school work Uh, but understanding that the black church was the only place where black folks were given dignity yeah. Where they their personhood and their uh, amado days uh, as being an in the being made in the image of God was actually respect respected yeah. and so and celebrated and celebrated and where you could you know people could have points of leadership that on Sunday that this body of people understood their value and worth and that had to sustain them for the other six days of the week when yeah. the rest of the world said, literally your property, literally mm-hmm. you're three fifths a person, literally you don't have any rights in this country. You, you exist are to serve, you exist to serve that there was a place. And how can you not feel joy when yeah. you feel like God sees you and will sustain you in the midst of extreme uh, oppression? Yeah. And so that tradition carries on. And so when people like to make fun of the shout and things like that, uh, you know, I think it was Tyler Burns was talking about this on an episode of Pass the Mic uh, with Jamar Tisby, is that that isn't empty shouting. Yeah. Uh I mean sometimes it can't be, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh but where it comes from, the tradition is in an understanding of what God has done and what God can do. It's an understanding of the history, the present moment and and the hope in the future, yeah. and that's a lot. Yeah. That when you just come in and observe, you may not understand. Yeah. And I think it's that spirit of joy that you know, I'm I'm sort of really interested in exploring for myself when I've had weeks like this. Uh, the past week was not <laughs> awesome, and just things get you down. But I interrupted you, so I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, it it all coincides and aligns, and so yeah. Like as I delved more, dived more into understanding Black culture and Black history, it felt like especially as a Christian and as a believer, there was this big component, and I've shared with this this on the podcast before, but even that challenge of also in a lot of realms in conservative Christianity, some of the, if the black church's politics don't line up with predominantly white congregation politics, then it's easy for, as a white Christian, me to be dismissive of that black Christian's beliefs um, in the realm of politics. And so like all of these things kind of were playing into my learning experience at the same time. And so I felt like I should start learning from and exposing my Christian tradition and the voices that speak into my life, um, spiritually speaking. And so I started following some of the more well-known, uh, black pastors in America and truly like have learned so much, not just in the sense of like culture, but spiritually, like they, it's just been so enriching.
1: What do you think is different? This is, a, I, I didn't prep you on this, but I'm <laughs> curious, like, what do you think the perspective of these black ministers and pastors how is that different than what you feel like you've received before?
0: The two things that first come to mind is, one, I feel like they are more of a straight shooter. It feels like they have been through difficult situations and they don't, the ones that I follow, I, I appreciate it feels like we're not about that. Like, yeah, go ahead and blast us. Go ahead and like, I, my calling is beyond that. And it and so it just feels like it, it doesn't seem like... There's politics involved as
1: In the uh, same way. In the
0: same way. Like and I know this is all subjective and depending on what church you're going to and all of those things. So I feel like I need to give that caveat. I just feel like I know and can respect like they have walked through hard times. And I know every person does, but and maybe that's partly being in an interracial marriage. I know there's an added layer of that without being a pastor with white privilege. And so I think there's an element where I just, it feels a little refreshing where when they, when they are challenging the audience and the congregation, it feels like they're not as worried about stepping on people's toes. Like they're going to step on everybody's toes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you just kind of have to like brace yourself Where Oh, now he's talking about me. So there's that. And then I also think this element of joy, like the expression of, and the expression. The, the that's a expression. Great of, yeah. Like the expression just the freedom they have to be emotional and happy and sad. And I appreciate I feel like it's not a formula of like you preach your three points and I mean, there is, there, is is still, uh, there is still there's still the three alliteration points. in the black church. Yeah. is very,
1: very popular.
0: <laughs> and maybe that's it. Like there yes, there's still the formula, but it feels like It is authentic to who they are and what their body that they are shepherding is going through.
1: Uh, I think for me, the term, the expression of joy, because so often in predominantly white churches, you don't express. Like you quietly express if you're daring enough to raise your arms and worship. (laughs) Uh, And one term I've heard to use for it is worship is embodied that it's not just intellectual it's hmm. actually physical as hmm. well Interesting. that you can shout you can clap yeah. you uh you know even the way the choir seems the choir soloist is seemingly yelling yeah. uh and the pastor is yelling at you slash singing in their sermon <laughs> uh that it is, it is all expressive uh, my grandfather is a retired ame pastor and my brother does a great impression of him' <laughs> about his grace is not sufficient and my grandfather's like this really gravely voice which i think is from years of preaching uh <laughs> <laughs> and you you'll hear more about my parents story and sort of how they grew up and a little bit of my grandfather in the next in a few weeks but that is just part of part of the experience and i think translating that to sort of beyond the black church and in our life, uh, I think it's about how can my life be an expression of joy? How can my life represent hope and promise of the future and not the pains of the past Hmm. is something that I feel I don't want to be defined purely by the the oppression of my ancestors. That's not, you know, I love all the teachers like I'm my ancestors wildest dreams and truly like that's an amazing thing. And there's such hope in how far we've come and how, you know, while we still lament how far we still have to go, there is something to celebrate and that we can hold positions and property and life that yeah. our ancestors didn't. And so I think then the question becomes how how does joy, how do I live out joy as an act of resistance and revolution in my daily life? And I will say that that is something' I, I'm struggling to find. Yeah, part of it was this podcast was to say, how can we, especially season two, uh, <laughs> where <laughs> I think I said in that first episode for the season that it, I didn't want it to be in service to whiteness, and service to trying to explain my identity to people. Instead, I wanted hopefully to celebrate my identity right. and to celebrate who we are yeah. and who we're hoping our kids will be in this world Rather than trying to force "quote unquote" people to validate our yeah. identity and our existence,
0: but it's interesting because thinking back to our first podcast of this semester, I had shared such, such,
1: a, <laughs> a, such an academic. You could tell we lived semester oh, of people, semester maybe over years. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Season two, first podcast, but you were laughing at me because you were like, "Sorry about you." You asked me something about between the first season of this podcast and now and I was like I've gotten more depressed there's so much work to be done (laughs) critical race theory and all these things and so I think that is something that I am a few steps behind on the journey but I do have that
1: conversation quite a bit yes (laughs) I have
0: seen partly through you um, but also the students and the friends that we have yes our lives cannot be only about the struggle. Yeah. And it can't only be about how far we have to go because yeah. that is a really depressing place. Yeah. Um it's not actually accurate of a representation of our life if we're only thinking about yeah. the struggles that we currently have because there's a lot of amazing blessings and opportunities. I don't know, I just as you were sharing I was like, oh, yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming.
1: I'm like, come on, babe. Uh, And I think my students, working with college students, they are leading, the next generation is leading this charge. While they are extreme activists, they are also so rooted in who they are and celebrating who they are. They find joy in their existence in a way Um, that is infectious. Yeah. uh, In the way that feels like they are on the train of liberation. Mm -hmm and asking the rest of us to join in. And that is something that I appreciate that I learned from them. They're enjoying like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're like, come on no, We're celebrating. (laughs) This is this. It's, it is beautiful and freeing and something that inspires me in that way.
0: So uh, if you live in Houston, Aaron directed a show that's ongoing at the Stages Theater and it's, based on the true story of the first sit-in in the Jim Crow era in Houston, Texas. Um, March
1: 1960.
0: And there were 13 TSU students who led that sit-in, and it's it spread and more students joined in. Um, and it is a remarkable story that Aaron had the opportunity to direct a play about, or a musical about. But one of the things that I love with this musical that the playwright infused and Aaron directed well was humor and life that the story of these four, it centers on four college students who joined the movement and you see them pledging to a sorority. You see two of them falling in love. You see just hilarious moments between the other two and some of the white audience members might have this questionable feedback of, it distra- it, det- it detracted from the storyline of the sit-in, like following these students, the, the other parts of their lives. And I think just in timeliness with this conversation, like I've thought a lot about that criticism and even just joy in our own life and how it's exactly what we have been saying, like the story would not be as powerful and as touching if you weren't seeing every aspect of these students' lives. Mm. And so I guess my question for you is how do you translate that however oh, many years later, 60, <laughs> mm. um, when we aren't necessarily having to do sit-ins anymore, but there's still a long ways to go. So how do you marry... Joy with still fighting for justice and equity when you are face to face with encounters where that is still lacking 60 years later?
1: Um, that's a great question. I don't know if I know the answer if it's not scripted to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Shawana Renee Ravon, who wrote uh, Your Course Invited Sit In, is phenomenal. And I think she uh, as well as our producer, Ebony Bell, at Stages, were really adamant about, and me as well, that we don't need to reduce this story to being palatable to the white gaze. And not that that's negative, but this idea of understanding that we are full human beings and that this one traumatic event does not define our lives, that these students that were doing these sit-ins and putting themselves literally, their lives on the line were also still going to their college classes the next day and worried about grades and falling in love. And after the sit-in, they still had to have a life in Houston. They still had to graduate. They still had to raise kids and, and find a job. And that all of the things that make us who we are in a holistic view is important. And so that was sort of our approach to the play. And I think in real life, that was something that sort of became important to all of us that were working on it. Uh, Sort of how art imitates life or life imitates art. And this idea that we, you know, in the wake of 2020 and other hardships that we find, uh, like I can say like it, I have been in situations recently where I literally could feel like my heart start racing and me sort of becoming anxious in ways that were brought on by events around me and in those moments i have to i'm learning not that i have i've mastered this i'm learning how to say let me go and play with my kids Mm. let me sit on the floor and listen to my kids laugh and understand that there is more to this life than the pain that i have outside let me eat good food let me be around my best friends and my wife, let me live, not in reaction, but in resistance. Let me live and try to put out the love and positivity I want in the world. And that doesn't mean escapism. That means, I think in a way, balance to understand that I can't solve every issue around me in a day, in an hour, in a week, in a year which doesn't mean I should stop trying, but it also means that I let go of the pressure that I am responsible for it, Hmm. Uh, that I can keep working and keep doing what I can, but my life is not purely in service to being sacrificed in in the way of activism, that it is also about loving those around me and finding ways to live. I don't even know how, I know that sounds sort of, ethereal, in a way, and poetic, but I am, to some degree, an artist. Uh, And so, quote-unquote. And so, I know that seems... Yeah, that would be my answer. I know that might not be a great answer. No, it's
0: a really great answer.
1: It is still a process, and still something I'm learning. It's all in progress.
0: How has being a follower of Christ infused or given the foundation for that fight for joyful resistance
1: uh for me i think there is my faith has allowed me to remind myself that i can't do it on my own that this strength can't come from within me i go to christ for that Mm -hmm. uh it has reminded me that my my worth is not determined by the what people say about me around by those around me that that does not define it i am reminded sort of in the same way that the the black church that jesus loves and cares for those who are oppressed i just read i finished up gentle and lowly not too long ago and understanding how the lord yearns for those that are in pain and those are struggling to comfort and care and love those sort of things have reminded me that I don't have to live in the pain of the moment, but be restored and given hope in what Christ has already done and the victory that is promised. Hmm.
0: That's
1: really good. Yeah, I, if I could just remember that all the time, <laughs> that'd be great. If you could just play this back, I would play this back I for myself. I will, I will definitely do that. What do you hope our kids see and understand about joy as they grow up? in a time where it'll look different for them, the world will be different, what do you hope they understand about joy as a biracial little boy and a black little girl?
0: All the things. I I hope that they will have a perspective on the deepness of joy for a couple reasons. One, their parents are in an interracial marriage, and so we will know hardships and struggles because racism still exists in the world and But no, I think seeing us still have joy and fun in the midst of difficult outside events as you were mentioning before and and seeing you fight for that joy of getting down and playing with them and still trying to have that base. There's a lot of laughter in our home. And not that joy is the same as happiness and laughter, but I think there is some carryover. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also think they have a mom with, as we just talked about, mental health struggles. <laughs> um, and so seeing hopefully me fight for joy and Yeah, that that doesn't define me day in and day out, week in and week out. I hope it gives them a foundation for kind of what we've been talking about. The joy is that resistance to the hard things going on in life. And I hope that they they see that the Lord and the people that the Lord put in, that you surround yourself with in your life, can be physical manifestations of that joy. I want them to see us living out joy even when they know we're stressed or hard things have happened. And I want them to know to their soul that the Lord sees them and sees joy. Like He is mm. joyous because He created them.
1: Mm. I love that. I think what part of what I heard you say, reading between the lines is that joy is a decision. Um, to not allow the rest or joy Joy is a decision to not allow the world destroy you. Yeah. And that can be hard at times.
0: And some days I don't
1: do that. Yeah. This is why we celebrate the joy, the days we do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're about to wrap this up, but we do our question. Give us something you got right this week.
0: Yeah, oh gosh, you're going to have to go first.
1: Uh, I had a birthday.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: That was fun. And we had Easter not too long ago, and I I did the eggs for the adult Easter egg hunt. Yes. Which I was proud of myself.
0: You did. It was fun. So you're saying you got right that you had a birthday? Like yes, you, I get to have that right,
1: yes. Like you had any impact on the day you were going to I, I imagine that I was like, Mom, now it's, <laughs> now's the time. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, I was actually going to say I got your birthday right, but you already took that. So. Well, this still works.
1: You had a different part of it. Yeah.
0: I feel like I got right this time, and this is going to hurt a lot of sentimental parents. But Aaron does not actually enjoy gifts from our children at the ages of four and three. <laughs> So what I did right for his birthday was I did not let our children pick out his gift. I picked out his gift and took them to the store with me so they could say they were there.
1: And I greatly appreciate that because
0: he trashes. I'm sorry, Eliza and Isaiah. One day you will listen to this podcast. You don't have, have to say out. one
1: day they, they pull it out of the recycle bin. They're like, why is my, why is my picture in the recycle bin? It's like, oh, that's that actually more?
0: what I need them to have joy. Joy yes. despite the fact that their father <laughs> never kept a single thing they gave him.
1: I kept their love. That's all. That doesn't means. count. <laughs> well, on that note, that is the end of this week's episode of The Reconciled Life. If you enjoyed today's Enjoy. episode
0: enjoyed today and see what
1: you did there yeah uh uh, or even if you didn't please (laughs) like our uh i said prescribe wow we've been the doctors a lot subscribe (laughs) to our podcast tell a friend about it write a lovely comment and remember today is a great day to
0: be a little better
1: and do a little more thanks